Welcome to the Razan Worship Songwriting Podcast, episode 48. I'm Joel Payne. I'm Sam Hargreaves. And this is a podcast to equip and inspire grassroots songwriters serving their local church. In this episode, we'll be dissecting the contemporary classic, Oh Praise the Name, from Hillsong, reviewing December's Songs for the Christmas Gaps in the 12 Song Challenge, and considering how to write a song for Easter week in the January Challenge, as well as responding to your tweets, posts, and emails. Happy New Year! Thanks, mate. Uh... Is it true that Americans always put the emphasis on new and Brits always put the emphasis on year? Yes. Good. So it means that this, the uh, ABBA song, Happy New Year, is much more English. It's more, it, yeah. They've, they've got more of a, an English affinity, I would think, haven't they? What with being Swedish. Are they Swedish? They are Swedish, yeah. yes. Yes. Good. What do you mean they've got more of an English affinity? Well, they're like European. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as you know... The British love the Europeans. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it got political within like one minute this, this week. That's very hard. It's so hard not to be, isn't it? I'm, I'm not a particularly political person as these things go, but it's, it's just <laughs> like it's there on the tip of your tongue. Um, yeah, what have you been up to, Sam? Uh, Christmas time. We did some services at church. Um, most fun, I think. We did a sort of evening carol service where we used... Um, Wonderful counselor oh, yeah, by yeah. Andy Irons off yeah. the Resound website it went really well, oh, nice. and we used the video of um, my "You Bring Peace" as the sort of, It's got got some good comments, but the most fun was the morning when we um, did a youth band, which we've not. There's been a youth band at church for a little while, but we gathered like flutes and um, glockenspiels and cellos and junk drummers and all, all sorts. And we had about I don't know twenty people on stage. Uh, and we did some carols, but we also did um, Chris's new um, Merry oh, Ride, mm. which was great fun. Um, so, yeah, so that was all really good. Did you all dress up as toilet rolls? I didn't dress up as a toilet roll. <laughs> Haven't you seen the video? Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's a very facetious was... question. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't. But it was fun. Um and the other bit of news from me, I think this is official enough now that I can actually say it, yeah. is that uh, I've been working on a whole album of Bob Hartman's um, oh, rhyming yeah. Bible stuff. Yeah. And I actually went to a meeting with uh, Sue Rinaldi mm-hmm. and um, Paul Burton, and they are in the process of recording it right now. Cool. So that's very exciting. Just like that. Yeah. Well, not just like that, but brilliant. Oh, wow. Um, what does that... Just tell us a bit more what that means. So Bob Hartman, people may know him as a storyteller. He wrote uh, things like The Lion Bible. He's a, he's a really well-selling uh, author. And uh, no one says a well-selling author, do they? A best-selling author. A well-good best-selling author. <laughs> uh, and he wrote this whole rhyming Bible, which has been published by SBCK next year. And it's beautifully illustrated. It's really good. It looks like a proper children's book cool. that you would really love to have. Yeah. Um, and he, I think he actually started talking with you initially, but um, mm. it became... You stole my the, project. I basically stole your project, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you feigned indifference. I, so I, I, that's true. I, I jumped in. Um, now you're coming crawling back. Like, I know, I know. And I'm like, who is it? The little red hen. What? The little, little story with the little red hen where she makes, she makes all the effort to make the bread. No. And everyone else is like, oh, I'm too busy. Yeah, and then at the end, she's got all this lovely bread, and everyone wants to eat it, and she's like, "Nah, you didn't help." Oh, I see. So you're the little red hen. Yeah, in this, it's quite a moralistic parable, basically. Yeah, I feel really <laughs> judged. <laughs> anyway, the point was, yeah, that uh, I've written twelve songs because it's obviously rhyming, so it's obviously you know it works as as lyrics. Although it's a bit of a challenge because some of them are quite long, mm. so uh, there's a few challenges there. And I've never really done this where I've had a whole set of lyrics that I needed to write songs, write music for. And also because it's kind of for kids, there's that whole element of trying to think, well, what, you know, what would kids enjoy and what would be accessible and reasonably up to date. So, yeah, it's been fun. Um, So, yeah, my Christmas was amazing. Good. What was your best present? Jesus. (laughs) 
Um, what else have I done? Um, we we had a, our uh, S. We call them Schwuff. It's the Song and Hymn Writers Foundation. So Resound is a, a like a working name of a charity. We have an overarching charity that does Resound and Jubilate. And a meeting with our trustees. I love meeting our trustees. We've been going for about two years now, and it was like this was the meeting where suddenly. Like all the friendships clicked. You know, when you first oh, wow. start meeting as a group. That's nice. Yeah. You, you kind of you're working hard together, but it was one of those ones where it took us about half an hour to get the meeting going because everyone just kept giggling at stuff. Oh, and it, it was really, nice. yeah, it's a really nice thing. Just like, oh wow, we're a bunch of. I mean, we missed out on some business probably, but we're a bunch <laughs> of we're all a bunch of friends here doing this together. So I so appreciate those trustees. Um, they're incredibly supportive um, of what. I do what we do with Resound and what we do more broadly with Jubilate as well. Um, but I think one of the things that particularly came out of it was that they um, they encouraged me to write more stuff. They sort of recognised that one of the things, one of the ways I sort of do my leadership role in Resound is by writing, not just mm. by encouraging everyone else to write. And I thought, yeah, I, I hit, hear them and I need, therefore, to try and do that. So, I mean, the 12-song challenge is really helping because I'm writing some stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Brilliant. But that was good. Um, really good uh, pre-Christmas. We did a, a worship night at a church in, in Loughborough. They just got in touch and said, would you resound, come and do, come and lead worship? And we just, we, we want to explore some more contemporary forms of worship. Um, we don't do a lot in our church, but we've got this idea of kind of a monthly Friday night worship night where we go a bit more contemporary. And so I loved doing that um, and for several oh, cool. reasons. One was that um, people from different churches across the town came, so that was really nice. Um, and the people who came from that church were really encouraged. And there's always a bit of trepidation when you try and do something new like that, that you're going to kind of put people's noses out of joint and stuff. Yeah. Um, but also just reinforcing for me as Resound Worship, you know, where where do we fit in the whole setup and structure of of church music and I think that's one of the things we're able to offer well but say look we've got this mm. bunch of songs we can share with you so I did a whole you know loads of stuff by all kinds of different people but the resound we sang God Our Father amongst other things oh. and, and just stuff that it's makes nice. sense to those churches yeah. that are, if you like transitioning or just moving on in, in terms of styles or embracing new styles so I found that really encouraging Let's move on to some correspondence. And after last month's podcast, Daniel got in touch to say, hey, another Nick Kershaw fan. <laughs> That's There's good. two of you. I knew there was one. It's really nice to meet you, Daniel. And we should get together and talk about Nick Kershaw over dinner or something. <laughs> uh, and then also Travis, who is, uh, I think, from Texas, um, who's been involved in the 12 Song Challenge, very kindly posted some stuff on social media just to give us a bit of a big plug. And he said, do you have a New Year's resolution to commit to the craft of songwriting for congregational worship or will you have one in around three weeks? I've been thoroughly enjoying resoundworship.org's 12 Song Challenge and though we're a few months in, if this is a discipline that you want to develop, I highly commend the challenge as a source of both community and cultivation. So a big thank you to Travis. That's cool, isn't it? Um, yeah, and uh, not least, not only because it's very encouraging to know that you have been encouraged and helped by this, but also we do really appreciate anybody putting stuff out on social media because yeah. that is sort of the extent of our reach is very much dependent on you guys um, giving us a little plug here and there. Time for Brian's Brain. It's time for Brian's Brain. What have you got for us, Sam? Brian's Brain. So from uh, Brian Oliver's book, How Not to Write a, Hunt a Hit Song, uh, I've picked out this. In fact, it gives us a new... Uh, catchphrase, Joel. I think we need a new, few more catchphrases for our podcast. I would like one. Okay, so uh, except for, I guess we've got, um, what does everyone need? Uh, <laughs> what does everyone need? That's, that's I'm going to write that down as a hashtag. Yeah. It's true, actually. Um, but also, <laughs> um, this one is, too many notes, Mozart. Uh, and he writes in his book, when Emperor Joseph II first heard Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's opera, the abduction from the Seraglio... Yes, classic. Yeah. In 1782, he famously told the composer, too many notes, my dear Mozart. Um, and basically, you know, he sort of goes on to say that many musicians, they love to play, they love to add lots of extra notes in and make it as complex as possible. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, that's all a temptation that we all feel. But often it's actually what you take out, the spaces you leave, the simplicity that really makes a song Great. And obviously he's talking in this context about writing songs for, you know, other people to sing maybe, but we're thinking about congregation singing, which is even more important that you kind of hone it down. And 
And I certainly notice, you know, in the stuff that we do with Resound, in the things that you see on the forum people are posting, often you just think, oh, if you just could simplify that a little bit, it would yeah. be much more singable. And actually, it would be a better melody overall. Yeah. So, uh, Brilliant. Yeah. Too many notes, Mozart. <laughs> Too many notes, Mozart. Thank you, Brian. Cheers, Brian. Dissect a classic. Let's dissect a classic. This month, we are going to come very much up to date with a song that's been written, I think, three years ago, maximum. And uh, it's uh, Oh Praise the Name or Anastasis. Anastasis? Anastasis? No idea. Don't know. Or, or I Cast My Mind to Calvary, whichever you prefer to call it, from Hillsong. Uh, it's a song that's very new, but it has travelled the world very quickly. It's definitely very popular in my house. Written by Dean Usher, Marty Sampson and Ben Hastings. Um, and just for a bit of background, I found a, a really helpful blog post, actually. We'll put a link to this and uh, on the Hillsong website, where Marty says that uh, describes the process, which involved them kind of gathering, wanting to write, wanting to write a bit of an epic but not really getting anywhere, and then starting to chat about the old hymns and what it was about them that made them really resonate with people. Um, so he said that what they did was, the three of them, they'd met for a songwriting day, they spent the whole day crafting the melody of the verses. So that's just like four lines or whatever it is. Um, a whole day just focused on that. And he says they then, um, a bit later, Ben and Marty got together and started writing the lyrics and very much were trying to capture this broad sweep of the redemption story from the cross to the resurrection um, and it wasn't, and they sort of put it on the back burner. It wasn't until sometime later when somebody was asking, "Have you got a new song for Easter?" That Marty thought, "Ah, oh, and e well, this is basically an Easter song." Um, and then he says this. He says, "I spent the rest of the day engrossed in the narrative of the crucifixion and resurrection and the moments surrounding it." The verses took in more of the detail that Ben and I had placed, and with Easter approaching, the song took on a new meaning. I knew the song needed a chorus, and the most fitting idea seemed like a simple response of praise to the gravity of Christ's defining moment on earth. The moment we hinge our eternal futures upon. Sam, tell us, why does this one work? Uh, I think one of the things is got a really clear theme, as you talked about. You know, it's very obviously um, covering this narrative of the cross and the resurrection and the second coming. And it does that, I think, in quite a um, concise way over those four verses. And it really kind of takes you into that story in quite a powerful way. And it's obvious where you're going to use this song. You're going to use the song when you're thinking about you know, Easter and the passion of Jesus. And, you know, it's not vague in that sense. Mm. And I think also the way that the verses, are, we've talked many times about the inhale and the exhale of a song. And the verses have got that real kind of um, inhale, information, revelation thing. And then the chorus is such an exhale of praise um, and of, of, of sort of thanks uh, of, for all that stuff. Um, and I think the other thing, and I think you're going to disagree with me about this, Joel, uh, I'll do my best. The thing that I like, um, I listened to this podcast by Malcolm Gladwell, and he was talking about how some songs really grab us emotionally. And often his his idea was that the more specific you can be about some details, the more it kind of brings us into kind of the minutiae and the mundaneness of people's everyday lives. So he talked particularly, I don't know anything about um, country music, but he was saying about in country music, often they'll use these very small details to kind of make it very human and very relatable. And I feel that the Joseph's tomb line really does that in this song. I kind of hear that and go, oh, it's not just, you know, a borrowed tomb or a, it's, it's actually, it's, it's somebody else's. It belongs, and it kind of gives, to me, it gives it kind of a specificity and a historicity of like, there was this guy and he wanted to, you know, give his tomb. And that, you know, whereas actually a lot of our songs are quite vague and quite general, that Joseph's mm. Tomb thing just kind of hones it on in on a very sort of specific historical um, detail. Cool. Well, I uh, picked out particularly the melody. It's interesting. We've already said that they spent a whole day crafting mm. the melody, haven't we? Um, and there's a couple of things about it that are worth saying. One is that, like a hymn tune, it uses the full range. Rather than kind of dwelling in one place and then moving up somewhere else for a chorus, it uses the whole range. Mm. So it's got a real kind of light and shade and space within which to develop a really memorable melody. Um, and the second is that... By and large, they use the pentatonic mm. as the, the melody, certainly the first half of the verse, um, which is just using five notes in the scale. Um, 
in the second half of the verse, they bring the seventh in, which I discovered after considerable correspondence with various music experts on Facebook is a hexatonic uh, stack of fifths, which means you go... If you imagine you're in C, Sounds which I think this one is originally, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> you have a C, and then the fifth is, uh, is a G, and then D, and then A, and then E, and then B. Right. And if you do that with all those six, you end up with the scale, which is called the hexatonic stack of fifths nice. for uh, anything want of anything else but just literally just leaving out the fourth gives it this kind of character mm. kind of haunting character much like uh, bless the lord oh my soul yes. which also congregations grab i mean yeah. they just double in volume when they sing it and i think it's a similar thing on this song and i think it also feels quite timeless you know the first time yeah. i heard this i was like oh is this an old song that somebody's revived <laughs> Um, and I poked around a bit online and other people were saying, you might think that this is an old song that's been revived, but it's actually, you know, you, you might think you've added a chorus to an old song, but it's not. It's, it's, it's brand new. But I think that the, the, the pentatonic nature of it is one of those things that makes it sound quite uh, sort of timeless. Two more bits that I'd just like to show, show. lyrically. Mm. This idea of, it starts with, I cast my mind to Calvary, which basically gives you permission to put yourself there, which we do in songs anyway, but it very specifically says, I'm going to go back there as if I were there mm. and I'm going to describe what I see. And that's a very evocative way of doing it, talking in the present tense. Um, and then the other thing is just when they lift it and they sing, the angels roar. Yeah. I just think that's a magic, just the combination of, of you you shoot so high with the angels yeah. and the idea of them roaring yeah. I think is inc- oh, it's amazing um, so I, I, I love that I think it's a really magic little moment and hook in the song which really just brings the whole thing to life in a sense not even that it needs it but just adds some more mm. um, Sam come on then let's help them out um, how, how would you like to improve it um, I think one of the things this is a difficult one because obviously you're sort of changing the nature of the song a little bit, but I do think that we only, I might have mentioned this before, but when we did our book uh, about uh, whole life worship, one of the things we noticed was every song about the cross and the resurrection only talks about the benefits to me. And that to me is quite a worrying trend because this is obviously the heart of our faith. And there is something very emotive about, wow, Jesus died for me and I will rise with him. And that, that's powerful, but that death and resurrection also makes a difference to the person next to you, the person you struggle with, the person who's very different to you. It makes a difference to our community relationships. It makes a difference to creation. And and so I guess, you know, even the small thing of, and I know some people like this and some people don't, but whether they could have made it and we will rise among the saints our gaze transfixed maybe make it more corporate in the last verse mm. um but also if and maybe you know this is just for a different song but could we write more songs that don't just say wow isn't this great for me 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 and actually that says wow this is great for my neighbor this is great for creation this is great for the environment this is mm. great for communities and and, and and countries and social groups uh, that that's there's a there's a sense in which that is a critique of the canon as much as sure. as it is of this song yeah. is that fair yeah but I, it just sort of struck me because you know here's a new song doing this stuff but the only way it talks about this is in relation to me it never mentions any yeah. <clears throat> um uh just the other thing is that line messiah still and all alone yeah. firstly i i did kind of take me a little while to go do they mean that he is still the Messiah? Or do they mean that he is still, as in not moving? And I think it must mean he is not moving. He's not the Messiah. He's not moving. That's too much. Um, but I don't know. But But then, actually, the more I thought about it, I thought, hang on a minute. All alone, that really applies to jesus on the cross doesn't it does it apply to jesus in the tomb because surely when he's in the tomb he's dead (laughs) (laughs) so nobody says oh no you know granddad he's you know he's i'm a bit worried about him he's he's all alone now (laughs) he's (laughs) because he's dead (laughs) 
I mean, it's just a weird thing to say at that point. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. So they're, they're trying. I, yeah, it's evocative, isn't it? Because it, 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 that loneliness, that that kind of, yeah. Hmm, that's a good point, actually, Sam. <laughs> if a little irreverent. <laughs> I mean, that is a good point. genuinely, like, what does that Can mean? I, yeah. Yeah. Oh no! Don't ruin it. Goodness, I love this song. <laughs> well, you wait, you wait. Um, yes, yeah, so that's good. That's helpful. Uh, I should say for first-time listeners, um, we we always engage, try and engage in a constructive critique, just to say, you know, what would we? Not that we expect anyone to rewrite these songs at all, um, but if if they were brought to us first time, you know, what would we have said? What what ways might we think we can improve it? Often we are scratching uh, around a little bit, but other times we think of all kinds of things. Um, okay, let's let's look at the lyrics. So I think you you've sort of highlighted something here that is uh, perhaps unintentionally highlighted, but it's this thing of making your lyrics sound quite poetic. And what's been really interesting is that I think in the three years since this was published, and maybe this is part of the same the same cycle, the Hillsong lyrics have got more and more poetic mm. a- until that some of them are just stunning mm. these days. And I think there must be some work going on to to develop that. Um, but this is a good example of something actually, which has a bit of, has a lot of gravitas about it, and it has a kind of a certain archaic quality yeah. to it lyrically. But what it does is some just some one or two rather odd things as well at times. Like so, for example, and on the third at break of door, it's sort of it's almost as if they've invented an archaism. Yeah. On the third, what? On the third? I mean, we sort of know what they mean, but. Uh, it's almost like, well, that sounds poetic. I'll put it in rather than... Yeah. And now I'm going to come... Can I come to... Jo- no, I'll come to Joseph's tomb. <laughs> um, <clears throat> there's also... There's a switch of address halfway through the chorus. And I don't know about you, but whenever I sing it, I always want to go, I praise the name of the Lord our God, praise his name forever for all my... How does it go? Well, please, I will sing God's praise. I always find myself singing and then I discover it's your praise because we've switched address and we've... Which is pretty much exactly the same as Bless the Lord, right? Yeah. So, yeah... I, I don't know about that because I I I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to sort of talk about somebody and then to switch in the end and go you I I doesn't yeah I know what you mean it's not not intrinsically but I genuinely always get it wrong right, when I sing right. because I sort of expecting it to go somewhere yeah. and then there's also a thing where they start in the in the present tense but then move into the past tense by the beginning of. They're just like little things. I would look. I would always look at those, and I would just say, "Okay, it ha- you know, is that intentional?" Because yeah. sometimes it is. Yeah. But if it isn't, do you want to try keeping it all in the present tense, or try having it all in the past tense? And let's see how that works with the song. I think that that's important. But th- okay, here's the thing with Joseph's tomb. Um, Joseph's tomb. Uh, <laughs> it's is this. <clears throat> I hear your point about having details and those making it what did you say about it relatable and historic make it relatable the thing is if you've got a song which has a very grand narrative to it and then you suddenly plop in this very it's kind of like jesus he was the word made flesh he had a nose (laughs) like of course he had a nose as the word and that's a very real and true and specific detail but in the the breadth of the kind of poetic structure and style that you've that you you're using you drop in a little it's just about for me it's about consistency of voice and consistency of if if you're going to bring in some of these quite specific then then paint a picture which is all built on some of these bits right, and pieces yeah. and also just the kind of joseph's tomb is used as if it's a bit like he he sat on david's throne right and the thing is david's throne is a thing right yeah. Whereas Joseph's tomb is basically a tomb that some guy called Joseph owned. And so it's just kind of, if you're going to do that then, it's just about being very careful and perhaps even more creative with how, how do you then bring Joseph in rather than... It makes it sound as if this is an expression we use. And clearly it's not. We don't talk about you know, mm. in, in those terms. But anyway, but I, I, I'm delighted that it um, doesn't really upset me. <laughs> 12 in December, our challenge in the 12 song challenge was to write a song for the Christmas Gaps. And I think we had a fantastic collection of songs written. It's covering a yeah. remarkable range of things. Um, from, I think the very first one we got in December was somebody who had written a song for, they have a service around Christmas for people who've been bereaved that year. Mm. Um, and writing a song, just connecting Christmas to 
to the idea of bereavement and so on and hope and what a brilliant idea. We have a service just like that in my church, actually. And then a whole range of stuff that has followed. So um, what we've done is we've picked out two or three this time from the um, online forum that the various participants have been writing just to share with you. We'll say one or two things about them and then we'll um, we'll share what we've been up to this month. So, Sam, I've first up picked out this one by Rebecca, who's very much responded to the kind of brief that we gave was, was to think about what you've been planning this year and where was the gap that you wish you could have filled and she said uh, she was trying to pick something to come after the talk in their carol service where it's going to there's going to be a, a talk um, or in a service a talk around um around mary and then the um annunciation announcement to mary from the angel and how mary responded and so on um and so that's what she's written and i think we let her off the leash um to coin yeah. a phrase by saying it could be a performance song which was great. So um, let's have a listen to what Rebecca's written. I know this seems obvious, but for a performance song in something like a carol service, that's your main job, is to write something that is going to sound great when you sing it. I, I mm. honestly, you know, I, I care what the words say, but mm. in that context, it, it depends as well, I suppose, whether you give people the words. And if you do, then it's more important that you really refine them. But in that context, just saying, can I sing something on this theme that is going to grab people and it's just going to help what they've heard to just be more kind of arresting and engaging in their hearts and, and so on. Uh, and I think Rebecca does a great job there. I think she, this lovely, beautiful turn of melody and I particularly, um, just when it hits the chorus, why you choose to work through me. A simple, mm. I think it's really lovely. Um, yeah. And she harmonises beautifully with herself, which I suppose she probably can't do. Um, <laughs> but no doubt Life. there's somebody else who could. So I just want to say great job, Rebecca. Yeah, I think so too. I think also the interesting thing about it is it's obviously very much a response to, to you know, what Mary's going through. But actually, this would stand alone outside of that story. There's nothing apart from that line in the bridge about 400 years of silence, which people were questioning anyway. But otherwise, it, it does just stand alone as a kind of God, I will go where you lead me kind of yeah. song. Which yeah. is quite a useful thing because it means you don't just have to use it at Christmas. It's true. Great job, Rebecca. Good stuff. What have you got, Sam? I've got Olwyn. Uh, she has written a song for the kind of uh, candle lighting um, moment in sort of Advent candle. And oh, she's yeah. taken the four themes, sort of traditional themes of hope, love, joy and peace. And so written uh, verses that kind of subtly, they don't change that much, actually, but they're they're really, I think, cleverly written. So, um, should we have a listen? Yeah, definitely.
So I think that's terrific. I think it's short and simple enough because you don't want a big, fat, chunky, long song when you're lighting the candle. It's a short moment of the service. Uh, and you could choose to just sing each of the verses, you know, one for week one, one for week two. So you don't have to sing the, the whole thing. Yeah. I love the way she, she just tweaks the verses each time. This light is for hope, undeniable hope. Then she's got uncontainable love, unquenchable, I think she should say joy there. Yeah. Uh, and then unshakable people, you know, so clever. Really and then nice. she has a line um, that kind of um, sort of sums that up. So our fears will leave while we're waiting for the coming of God's son. Um, the one little thing, as I think she just needs to iron out in the chorus, the mm -hmm. um, waiting for our saviour's arrival. Yeah. She just needs to sing that more on the beat. And because she has to stretch saviour over, uh, I think, three syllables, I was just wondered about, or four syllables or something, uh, I wondered about like Emmanuel because it would fit much better. Yeah. Waiting for Emmanuel's, Emmanuel's arrival. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Um, but you need. To, I think that waiting for really yeah. needs to come strongly on the beat. Waiting for Emmanuel's arrival. That would that would just sort of nail it for people. Yeah. Nice. I also uh, really like this one. There's the the. It's so well structured. I love a well structured song. I love mm. it when you can look mm. at the lyrics of a song and say, mm. I get the structure of this just from the yeah. way it appears. And it's that thing of, and this light is for something. And then it's a, um, an adjective to describe that, mm. that, that something. And then it ends with, while well, we're waiting for the coming of God's son. And that's the whole thing, waiting for the coming of God's son, waiting. So it's very mm. Advent. Um, I think that's really strong. I, th I think probably I'm, I'm with you in the sense that the just the thing I suggested to Alwyn actually was just I really like the last line when she says waiting for the coming. I can't remember the tune now, but it, it starts on the beat, whereas they've all been slightly delayed up to then. I just thought maybe the right. whole thing would be more solid as as we light a candle in the darkness. We prepare our hearts for what's to come. It just felt more. The less snatched oh, yeah. and more, yeah. more so. and and actually you did that on the line three that you just did. I did, I yeah, yeah. Really, I think which, that makes much more sense. I, and I like that thing of, of putting Emmanuel. Um, yeah, really, really nice. I I might introduce a harmonic variation in line three of that chorus, um, but maybe that's just me. Hmm. <laughs> Good one. I've got Very one more. Useful. I was just yeah. Bonus. I enjoyed this month so much. And this was like a, a late entry in the sense that um, Keiko, who joined um, in, uh, joined us only a few few days ago in response to Travis sharing that thing. Um, actually, I had to send, I sent Keiko a message to say, is it all right if we share your song? She said, yeah. And I, had to, and I said, um, P.S. It's, it's Keiko as in K-A-Y, because she spelled K-E-I-K-O. I said, it's spelled Keiko as in K-A-Y-K-O. That's right. That's how you pronounce it. She says, yeah, just like Seiko, the watch brand, which I always pronounce as Seiko. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out I got that wrong as well. <laughs> so there you go. You learn a lot of things here. Seiko, the watch brand. Anyway, uh, so Keiko was in really late on this, but um, she uh, it's lovely to have someone who's just joined and be able to share what they've done. And um, yeah. she said she thought about the thinking about lessons and carols and kind of having something to fit each of the different lessons. And the third lesson in the lessons and carols is about the, is from the people walking in darkness have seen great light. Mm. So she um, grabbed that idea and um, let's have a listen. Her souls were lost on the open road that leads to pain and despair. Yeah. 
problem with this is, is that because she's got such a great voice yeah. and she's playing the piano beautifully, you sort of think, am I just being drawn in by a great voice and a great piano part? But yeah. then you look at the lyrics and go, no, I'm really not because the lyrics are brilliant mm. and they're saying things that are really, fr- you know, uh, but then our God took his first breath. I mean, boom, oh, right yeah. there. <laughs> boom, boom, you boom. Know. Yeah. Or um, verse two, to our dismay, our souls unveiled more broken than we could conceive. I mean, that's like, that's a harsh, yeah. you know, critique, but it's delivered so brilliantly. And then just melodically, it's just so strong. Yeah, it is. I, I, I definitely... Um came away thinking what I basically need to do is get Keiko to sing everything I write from now on. <laughs> <laughs> I might be a lot more successful. They're really beautifully sung, so we love that. But I, I absolutely agree. And I feel like it, it's lovely when some more people join in because suddenly you just get this new... There's a sound there, isn't there? There's a melodic sound. Yeah. There's a lyrical sound that nobody else is bringing into this particular um, group that we've been working with. So really appreciate that. I, I love... that The bit that I, I really love is in the chorus... Um, the light, the light has broken into the dark. I'm, I'm not even going to try and mm. sing it because it won't sound as good. But I love that repeat of the light, the light, and then this child, mm. this child. I, th- it's just choosing really well a little repeat like that. You don't have to repeat there, but mm. we do. And because we do, we suddenly just we hang on those for a moment before we mm. carry on. And I think it's exactly right because that is the thing. It's the light, it's this child, and that's exactly what, yeah. what we should Awesome. Sam, I'd love to hear what you've been working on this month. Yeah, it doesn't feel as good as those ones. But um, I basically took the theme. um, This is, I think, a theme a lot of preachers that I've been around often talk about is they say, well, of course, you know, it's amazing that he was a baby. But let's not forget that he didn't stay a baby. Yeah. And then, of course, what we tend to do is we tend to just jump to the crucifixion. But what I thought was, well, what if you wrote a song that said, well, yes, he was a baby, but he's not a baby anymore. But also, in the verses, I've tried to bring out his sort of earthly, incarnate life. Yeah, so, go for it. I don't know how good it is, but anyway. You may have been laid in a manger of hay, but you're not a baby anymore. You may have been praised by the shepherds that day But you're not a baby anymore You grew in mind and body Love and understanding They found you in the temple Asking lots of questions You lived among a family Loving God, your Father, discovering your mission, you're born to save the world. You may have been raised on a cross for our shame, but your death brought life and life for all. You may have been laid in a tomb, cold and grey, but the grave can't hold you anymore. You lived among the broken, sharing tears and laughter, found beside the sinners. Loving and forgiving You promise not to leave us You are God who's with us That baby who was Jesus Was born to save the world You may have been raised back to heaven again But we'll never, never be alone Lord Jesus, our Savior, you're coming again To remake this world our perfect home Oh, come join with us to adore The Savior who is Christ 
Christ the Lord For he's not a baby anymore Something like that. Nice one, Sam. Well done. That's great. Really enjoyed it. Very much. I was also typing notes just as you finished and... That's why I was slow to respond. Just leaving a little little tumbleweed moment to make you worry. Um, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was too terrible. Um, yeah, that's great. Um, I really like listening to... Uh, it's got a singery, songwritery kind of feel to it. It's interesting. You were saying, oh, I wonder if that'd be for the choir um, at some point, um, which I could almost hear, but it's hard. I, maybe it's listening to you sing. It's hard to hear past that. Yeah, that may, maybe more sort of a performance song yeah. rather than necessarily a choir. Um, yeah, cool. Um do you want me to jump in with a, a couple of ideas? Yeah, please do. So yeah, one... I, I don't. I don't. It's it's basically the problem with this is I, I've not worked on it that much. Yeah, and so I'm not I'm not really sure what I feel about. Okay, it, to be here's, my, here's my ideas because I think I think it works really well. Um, I think um, a, a bunch of people when you shared it with the twelve song challenge said, "Oh, why don't you say he rather than you?" Like singing to. It's a really interesting question. We quite often just sing yeah. to God's load of stuff he knows, which is clearly for our benefit. Um, I guess when that when that leads into an expression of praise, maybe it makes more sense. But when it is by and large just a continued description, which I think this is yeah. more of a song, then maybe uh, I think I would like to hear it as a he. I feel like you were singing to me then, and in the context that would sort of make sense. But if we were all singing I, it together, it might be different. I I just. As I I sung it through like that in the way that the person suggested of he may have been after a while I, I just it felt weird. Um, so here's my well, just, okay. Let me add another suggestion, yeah. which is I wonder whether you started with the you may have been but you may mm. have been but but I just wonder whether eventually that gets a bit tired in the song and whether you yeah. need to say that explicitly or you could just have that as your kind of so it could be. Um, our saviour was laid in a manger of hay, but he's not a baby anymore. He, blah, you don't necessarily have to have the you may every time, because so that that's kind right. of that's a kind of structural thing. But I just wonder a little bit if it stops you getting to the absolute fantastic lyrics rather than the good ones. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Another thing I would just look at in developing it is the too many notes Mozart thing, which is our uh, new yeah. uh, catchphrase. I do, I felt in the. Um, Lift among the broken, sharing tears and laughter, found beside the sinners, loving and forgiving. You promise yeah, not to. Yeah, yeah. I think you just trim a bunch of notes. So maybe letting loving and forgiving have fewer. I know it messes with your with your structure, but found beside the sinners. Ba ba da ba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start to leave us, and then the yeah. at the very end of those verses. Uh, the baby who is Jesus, born to save the world. I don't think you need the was every time. Just give it. Find some places just to throw a few little breaths in. <clears> um, <throat> that could that could help. Um, and then the final thing is just in the opening, you sang it slightly different every time, which I think might have been because you'd sort of revised it a bit or forgotten you'd revised it. But the yeah. you may have been laid in the manger of hay. I, yeah. I think does any time you find you've sung exactly the same few notes four times in a row. Mm. primarily start by trying varying the third one because that breaks it okay. up. That kind of gives you the thing, repeat, vary, come back, which is a nice, uh, it's okay. quite reliable as a structure. Yeah. It necessarily work, but I just have a little look at that. Um, yeah, it's great. It's good. Keep working on it though. I Because th I think you're Thanks. absolutely right that it doesn't leap from the cradle to the cross or and so on, or to the, from the cradle to the cosmos as they often do. Yeah. Thanks. Good job. I've got mine for yes. you. Sam, is it all right if I play you a recording of mine? Because mine is a three-part sure. round, and if I sing yeah, it to you, really it's do not going to work. And we do the service Skype, so it's no use you joining in either, because <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> so uh, let's just have a quick listen to it.
jump in sam um i should just say what so my inspiration was the idea of something you could sing when people who don't normally come to church come to sing and i found that a teaching something new is often quite a leveler when you've got yeah. visitors um having something that's hopefully got simple little memorable lines so you just go away with a couple of words resonating around your head which might be which i might like to give to people who come to visit and also that kind of oh man when we all sing together this sounds great and one way of doing that is to have a round where you end up in harmony that all Mm. said um (laughs) does it get i don't know but uh sam tell me what i can do with this um yeah one of the things I suspect you've done this already, but it's it's quite handy with these things to to put it in notation in Sibelius or something, just so you can see it. Because actually, when these things stack up together, it's quite handy sometimes to see where it goes together, where it where it doesn't. And I, without seeing it, um, sometimes yeah, just identifying where is this going to be actually in almost block harmony, and where is it going to be more in counterpoint. Mm. Um, and I just wonder whether going back to it um, and just tweaking it on that level and I, nothing really jumped out at me as being wrong um, and I also I, th- I think this is just the fact that really the sort of the first bit is a sort of like a low ladies part is a sort of alto part isn't it mm. so it sounds a bit growly when you do it <laughs> yeah. but actually I think that when you have a mixture of male and female voices this will sound great um, just because you'll get that that nice blend of of, of voices. Um, no, I don't. I don't think. Um, I don't particularly have any. I think it sounds great. Um, and as I say, we did um, one on Sunday uh, in the in the evening carol service. Uh, Andy Irons, wonderful counsellor, and mm. it just sounded terrific. In fact, we opened with another one of mine, which is not on Resound. Um, which is also a three-part round, and we just had the choir walk in from the back, singing it, holding candles, and it again, it, it's such a powerful way of getting people singing parts. So I, I think great job, really. Mm. Well, thank you. Did you uh, when you did Wonderful Counselors? Did you have mixed voices on that? Yeah, yeah, which is interesting, isn't it? I, I've been in contexts where people want to use it and try to divvy it up amongst the choir parts, and I often have to say to people, no, do it in mixed vo- voices. That's what will give it the richness when you sing. Otherwise, yeah. you end up with a bizarre separation of um, which, which you don't actually. When you do it in essentially in octaves, then you plug all the gaps, and you you end up with this beautiful rich harmony, don't you? Yeah. The, the other challenge with that one, and you haven't gone down this road, is there's a lot of syncopation. Mm. So you just have to, re- especially if there's is a, congre- a a choir or a congregation that's not used to singing con- syncopation, you really have to hammer into them where the little sort of pushes are. But mm. if you can get it right, it sounds great. Thanks, ma'am. It was fun. Okay, let's uh, let's move on to January. Ready for the January challenge? We've had enough of Christmas, frankly. Yeah. And it's time to move on. So let's uh, leap from Christmas into Easter. Here's what we're going to set you as a challenge for January. So the challenge is to write a song for Easter week. What we mean by that is that week that begins with Palm Sunday and ends on Easter Sunday. There's a whole lot goes on in the gospel narratives there. And actually, traditionally, there are a few different services and things that might happen during that week, whether it's Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and so on, um, where we could write songs specifically for those moments and for those occasions. Um, I think that helps us sometimes to avoid 
falling into the very generic or the very general. It helps to mm. focus us sometimes when we say, okay, what might this one be for? Where, where might we sing it and what is it trying to achieve? Um, so here's a few ideas um, for things that we could cover. I'm going to kick off with Palm Sunday. Um, the first is that obviously this is very much a narrative moment, but it's a narrative with a kind of theological significance about the kingship mm. and the nature of Jesus' kingship. So one way to approach it is just to very much just tell the story. Um, another way to approach it would be to say, okay, I'll, and sometimes I'll back off the story, but I'll go and find those Old Testament prophecies, um, that bit of Zechariah, I think it is, that they quote and, and so on. And I'll actually write in and around those so that we can sing it on Palm Sunday without having the whole thing a kind of direct reference to the story. So it's kind of complete opposite approaches. Another question is, um, are you trying to write an all age or an adult song? And yeah. you can easily sort of fall a bit in between on this one, I think, particularly in any narrative song when you're, when you're basing it on a, on an occasion. Um, and I think, I guess both, I want to say. I want to, I want to say have a go at both, but think about um, therefore how you would. And the final thing is just about how do you treat Hosanna as a word? Have a good <laughs> think about Hosanna. We sort of, we sing it in various different ways. It basically means save. No one is 100% sure how or why they decided to shout that at the... Uh, on um, or, or, or quite how it became a word and so on. It's, it's, one, it's a slightly enigmatic word. Um, so I probably just a caution to say, you know, don't just assume it's a shout of praise. Is it? A sh- is it a plea? Is it a think it through a bit, have a look, see how it's used, and so on, mm. and and just kind of be be careful with the use of it. Don't just replace hallelujah with hosanna. Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, then I mean, there are obviously other days in this week, but the one of the the next main days would be Monday Thursday. Uh, and I'm always really struck when I'm involved with Monday Thursday services, just how much story and how many different aspects are, are involved in Monday Thursday. Yeah. Um, so you can obviously do the foot washing stuff. We've mentioned previously um, Graham Kendrick's uh, Love Each Other as a great example of a, a song that uses the foot washing story. Uh, but you've got the whole of the, the rest of the, the Lord's Supper, some of the things that Jesus says, obviously the institution of the, the meal, uh, sorry, the Last Supper where he institutes the Lord's Supper. Um, uh, But then you've got going from there, going to Gethsemane, Jesus' um, prayer to the Father, the disciples falling asleep. Then you've got him being arrested. Uh, Then you've got, you know, any, any... the rest of the story of the sort of the trial that you you feel happens on Maundy Thursday. So there's just loads of material. Yeah. And I feel it's kind of crazy that, you know, we can think of so few songs that actually touch on those aspects of the story because we leap to Good Friday. Yeah. Uh, but actually there's such a rich amount of theme there. Yeah. I want to just add, be brave and don't be afraid to just pick one of those moments and just get, get yeah. right into it and just yeah. let that be a cohesive, coherent song that just does that really well. Yeah, absolutely. Because in reality, you know, preachers will very rarely preach all the themes of Monday Thursday, you know. And so when you're looking for responsive songs or songs that are, you know, going to set up that talk, you might go, well, actually, we're really focusing in here on the arrest in the garden. Let's do a song about the arrest in the garden rather than one that covers, you know. And certainly, you know, I I would, um, I think with this whole challenge, it might be a good thing to encourage ourselves not to leap onto good friday leap onto sunday but actually to you know to stick to to one particular day in the week do you agree with that yeah i think i think so yeah i think that's let's try and do that yeah rather than it be one that tries taking the whole scope because what often happens is then you get to any particular day in that week and you try and sing a song and you're always going oh well it gets to the resurrection we haven't really got to the resurrection yet Uh, (laughs) or it's all about the cross and it's supposed you know let's do that thing yeah, exactly. Let the thing and be the thing. That's a new catchphrase. Let the thing... <laughs> <laughs> Too many catchphrases, Mozart. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. The foot washing is the foot washing. That was another uh, thinly yes. veiled political statement. Um, uh, yeah, so pick a theme and also, you know, obviously go into some of the, the background to it as well. So, if, for example, if you're going to do the Last Supper communion you might want to go and do a bit of reading on Passover, yeah. for example, because Jesus is reinterpreting so much of the Old Testament in what he says. So maybe it would be handy to have some of that in the back of your head. Maybe it wouldn't 
be obvious even in your song, but it might just form some of the the context of what you're writing into. Mm. Good Friday. Um, I don't want to say a lot about this, except probably to, partly to reiterate what Sam has said. Um, hold back from trying to tell the whole story. Mm. Um, Good Friday is, is quite somber. It's quite sad. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? Trying to trying to have this because, of course, we we all know we know where the story goes. Mm. But try and think about how, therefore, can I engage with the truth of this and be hopeful and yet at the same time not skip forward? I guess that's a challenge. How do you do yeah. that? Um, maybe talking about things in in terms that you wouldn't necessarily use on Easter Sunday, but you might do on Good Friday, maybe in terms of the fulfillment of prophecies. Mm. And there's loads of stuff in the Old Testament which describes what Jesus is doing and achieving in ways I, I think that to just add more variety and more richness and depth to he rose on the third day and he's reigns in glory yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it, how the, the gospel accounts don't actually do what we might call atonement theology, particularly. You know, that comes later in the epistles and stuff where people then talk back and say, well, what Jesus was doing was he was taking the sins of the world or he was battling Satan or whatever. Yeah. But actually the, the Gospels don't um, annotate the yeah. story. They just they just say this is what happened. Yeah. And, you know, so and I think another you know way to, to look at that is... Um, there's this sort of famous seven last words from the cross, yeah. the, the last seven things that Jesus said. One of my absolute favourite pieces of music in the world is um, James McMillan's... Have you ever heard that? Uh, seven last he words write, from the cross? Uh, Boogie Wonderland. No. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. People may not know this is a running joke where I say a writer and then Joel <laughs> says a completely wrong song that they have written. James McMillan is a Scottish composer yeah. and uh, he's a wonderful uh, composer and he wrote this very harrowing piece of classical music called Seven Last Words from the Cross, which is my uh, favourite kind of um, passion week kind of thing to do for my kind of quiet time is to put that on my headphones. And it's, it is visceral and harrowing, but it it explores those seven last words. And I don't know, maybe that will be helpful for some people to to even take one of those, you know, Father, forgive them, they know that what they do. Uh, just take that and write a song out of that. Or or you could try and do all the seven words. It might be another way of approaching it. Then, uh, after Good Friday, you actually have uh, Easter Saturday, uh, or it might be called the Easter Vigil. And I was used to be part of an Anglican church where they would do this thing called the stripping of the altar on Good Friday. I don't know if you ever no. seen that, where they take all the kind of liturgical cloths and colours and all the, the, the bling and they, they completely strip the table of all this uh, decoration and you're left with a very bare church. And it's such a powerful thing mm. um, if you're able to do good friday in such a way that you actually don't resolve the story yeah uh because of obviously the, the experience of the first disciples was that jesus was dead yeah. and they have this whole saturday where basically their prayers are not being answered their their hopes have been shattered um pete greg does this really well in his book god on mute i don't know if you've ever read that no. book it's a sort of a it's just a book about unanswered prayer and he basically takes you through the, the the story of the, the Good Friday and the and the and the Easter Saturday and then the resurrection, but it it's such a poignant moment if you can kind of walk through the story of Easter and stay in that kind of Easter Saturday spirituality of it feels like everything has gone wrong. Yeah. Um, and so could you write a song into into that into that sense of like, you know, Jesus, it seems like you've died. God, where are you? Where are all our hopes? Um, there's a there's a yeah. really powerful spirituality there that if you can sort of knowing that Sunday's coming, you know, we, we've got big spoiler in our faith yeah. that we know that Jesus is resurrected. But it's that sort of challenge to kind of stay in Easter Saturday and not rush to Easter Sunday. That and could be some really good songs. The knowledge of where it goes gives you the freedom to explore yeah. that, doesn't it? You don't have totally. to worry that I'm somehow um, going to get lost in this. Mm. Um, because I know where it's going, but that means I can fully inhabit it. Yeah. Because um, I'm a disciple of Christ, and I stand in the tradition of the disciples. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we get to Easter Sunday itself. Um, and just, I suppose, two or three things I thought of. Um, some of it's kind of obvious, you know, seeing the resurrection narratives, of course. Um, I, I think in my church, Easter Sunday is almost always a family service, all, all age, mm. everyone in the service together. So uh, write something for that. The fact that yeah. the whole family comes together to celebrate the resurrection together on that day where you're marking it, not just in a very kind of general sense. Um, I think that'd be great. We also always, and I've done this for years, have an, an evening service on Easter Sunday. And I struggle because normally because I've probably done a sunrise service and a morning one and, uh, <laughs> uh, and so on. I get to the evening. I'm like, oh, man, I, I, most Easter services talk about early in the morning, blah, blah, Easter songs <laughs> and so on. So really thinking that through and just kind of how am I, how are we going to engage with this thing? And not kind of later on that evening when they were really happy, um, but simply to kind of think about, the, I guess, some of the language that you use um, and so that it kind of, it stands up at that moment when you're singing it in the dark on a, on a Sunday evening. And then the final thing is um, actually just go back earlier in the day we often have a sunrise service as well. It depends where you live in the world and when sunrise is. Um, and actually probably we always have it slightly after sunrise because it's too early. But um, <laughs> that thing of actually meeting at that moment where, where the sun is rising and maybe just sing about, write about that experience of gathering mm. together as the sun is rising to celebrate the resurrection of our king. So there you go. There's your challenge. Songs for Easter week. We are really looking forward to seeing them and hearing them. That's the end of podcast number 48. Uh, you can get in touch with us to respond to anything we've been saying this month by emailing podcast at resignworship.org, Twitter at resignworship, or Facebook slash resignworship.org. And all that remains is to introduce our featured song of the month, uh, which this time is going to be a bit of a resound golden oldie. It's the beginning of the year. It's a good time to sing a song of commitment. And uh, so the featured song this time is going to be all I am, I lay it down by Adam Howard. Uh, until next time, bye bye. All I am, I lay it down for you, my God and friend. Take my life into. Cross has come.